everybody. Welcome back to the Science Dispatch Podcast. This is episode 47. My name is Cameron English. I'm your host as always. Joined again, as I usually am, by Dr. Chuck Dinnerstein, Director of Medicine at the American Council on Science and Health. Chuck, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I am. Uh, I'm loving the summer out here in California. 110 degrees. Nothing better. Oh, but it's dry heat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that excuse because um, 110 is 110, whether it's a wet or a dry. It's just not good, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know, it's a tandoori oven instead of a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, enough about uh, en- en- enough about the weather out here on the West Coast. Um, today is Get in Trouble Day on the Science Dispatch podcast because we've got two very controversial stories. No matter what we say, Chuck, somebody's going to get mad at us for something because we we didn't do it right. Uh, but nonetheless, these are important issues. They both have really serious public health implications. And so here we go. So first up, we have a story Chuck wrote. It's called "Is Body Mass Index Racist Healthcare." And then the second one is, uh, and I'm not making this up, the CDC, as you probably read, everybody, recently came out and said that um, people besides pregnant women can breastfeed. In fact, men can breastfeed, (laughs) and uh, women can breastfeed, I suppose, excuse me, trans men can breastfeed, despite the fact that they're on a a whole whole, um, ration of hormones for for this treatment they're undergoing. So lots of controversial stuff to get into. Chuck, let me read the, the intro to your story here which is actually uh, mostly a quote from the American Medical Association from their new journal ethics, journal of ethics, excuse me. So you write body mass index BMI then is a continuation of white supremacist embodiment norms, racializing fat phobia under the guise of clinical authority. So that's the quote. And then you say quite an opening from an article in the AMA's new journal of ethics stripped of its rhetoric. Could it be true? Okay. Dr. Dinnerstein, take it away, please. Okay. Well, I I have to start by saying that it's certainly true that body shape is um, culturally constructed. Um, One only has, as I wrote in the article, one only has to look back at the the paintings by uh, Rubens to know that uh, a more voluptuous woman uh, was considered the embodiment of beauty um, in the past. But that really fails to get to the the point of talking about body mass index. And and I think that it gets at a really interesting um, problem in science. Back at the turn of the previous century, in the 1910s, 1920s, um, insurance companies that had a very big interest in um, figuring out who was going to die and when collected a great deal of data on the height and weight of the people that were buying their insurance. And for a large part, that was white males for a variety of reasons. And on the basis of that information, the insurance companies developed actuarial tables saying that given this weight, given this height, um, this is how this long this group of individuals might live so that they could come up with uh, the cost of insurance. And certainly within the framework of talking about the old white men that were being insured by them, that actuarial science was probably fairly good. 
The difficulty came when we decided to apply those same tables uh, to a much larger population uh, that wasn't necessarily male, wasn't necessarily white. Um, and the author of the article, uh, Dr. Sabrina Strings, who's a professor of sociology, is, has a cottage industry um, talking about the, the racist quality of body mass index over time and points out that using that particular group of uh, individuals was racist. I guess with hindsight it was, but there were no other uh, groups that were necessarily being measured to do it. And the, the real problem came when other scientists applied those findings um, to different populations. Moreover, the difficulty came not so much from the numbers themselves, but how the uh, scientists then categorized uh, weight as being underweight or overweight, which would say based on some kind of statistical analysis they did. So body mass index actually was an improvement as far as I'm concerned uh, with looking simply at weight or at height because it, it um, air quotes, normalizes the relationship between your, your height and weight so that someone that's six feet tall, you would expect to weigh more than somebody that's five feet tall. So I think from a point of view of um, improving measurement, BMI was certainly a step forward. Now, there are lots of different ways to evaluate um, our body weight today with uh, far more invasive techniques um, that we can use to determine what component of our, our weight is white fat or brown fat or lean muscle mass. And all of those things may make it uh, may make our predictions more accurate, but they all entail a greater time spent and a greater cost than simply measuring someone's height and weight and calculating a BMI. So from my point of view, I, I think the BMI still has uh, relevance. It's difficult for me to see why it's racist, except that that was the only information that was available at the time. Um, in the meantime, uh, all of the major societies have uh, said, you know, we, we, we can't use BMI any longer because um, of, of, of its origins, but none of them have offered up anything in its place. That's a really good point, and I think it speaks to the fact that this is the genetic fallacy in action. This whole idea that, you know, we're not going to talk about BMI because the people who conceived of it and initially used it uh, had some really nasty, even evil, you could say, ideas about about people who looked and acted differently than they did or had a different ethnicity, whatever you want to say. Um, and maybe this is a little controversial, Chuck, but I think it's possible for bad people to sometimes get things right. And I'm not saying that their ideology is good. Racism is evil, as I just said a second ago. But you can be evil and look out at the world and make observations that are correct sometimes. So let me give you another example. This is from uh, an article uh, in the International Journal of Epidemiology, and it's documenting the history of the anti-smoking movement <laughs> in Nazi Germany. Uh, and it's by, a, it's by a researcher named Robert Proctor. He's a historian at Stanford University, I believe. And it's fascinating to look at how the Nazis 
used really good science. They actually had pretty good epidemiology and pretty good research into, you know, why uh, smoking and even other chemicals like asbestos were harmful. Now, they, they, they attached this to an absurd ideology and they said, you know, smoking and the diseases that it's that we've associated it with our threat to German purity, right? And everybody looks back at that and goes, well, that's just bonkers, right? This is evil. We're not, we don't want any part of this. But nevertheless, the observations they made about cigarette smoking were correct then, and they're still correct today. They maybe not have gotten every single detail right in the research they were doing, but nonetheless, there's a good basis of science there. And I think it's possible to say, uh, you know, these people were crazy on the one hand, but some of the things that some of the research they did was very valid. And I think it's the same thing with with obesity and, um, you know, the health effects of it. What, what, what do you think about that? I, I think it's, we're going to tie back into it to the other article very quickly on this point. I, I think that a lot of this has to do with the application of uh, BMI, not uh, its measure. Um the, the, the ratio itself, I, I, I don't know how the ratio can be racist per se. It's when you take all of those numbers and you start doing things like averaging them and categorizing them. That's when um, our biases uh, come to the fore and you can make a, 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 an argument um, that the, the categorizations of BMI um, reflect um, a culture that is no longer with it. So it, part of the problem is, it, I, I really think, is in how we apply the science, not so much the, the science itself. And, and, and I think that we see that in a number of ways. And one of the other things I tried to point out in the article is after all of this um, talk about how we shouldn't be using um, biased studies, and we certainly shouldn't use studies that have a, a, a component of categorization by race, uh, we can turn to the thousand-plus studies done by the UK Biobank, which is a collection of genetic information on a large population in Britain, of which nearly all of them are white. And nearly all of them are British. We don't even have the Irish wandering in to, to the biobank. So we continue to repeat um, this behavior. We make use of the data that we have available. It would be nice to have a larger um, samples of the population to draw upon and a, a, in a shameless advertisement of what's to come in the next week Um on the website, there's a study that just came out from UCLA uh, looking at the population um, in Los Angeles, and they def they identified nearly 400 different genetic clusters of individuals in, in Los Angeles. So oftentimes it's the measure, it's how we measure things that make a significant difference. BMI has its value. It's. I, I don't see that it's going away real soon, but to, to claim that um, because its origins uh, lie in work done by an insurance company in 1910, um, we should abandon it, I think is silly. 
Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a helpful insight. I, I think the other issue though, is that they're not just going after BMI. They're going after the very idea that obesity is harmful. And I, I, I guess at this point, you know, the AMA and these other public health institutions, they're not, they're not quite ready to say obesity is fine, you know, live your best life or whatever, but they're sort of compromising with the people who are saying that. And that troubles me because there is, and there's been plenty of research on this. I, I can cite studies if people really want me to, but there's a clear dose response between the, 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 your size and your risk for all sorts of metabolic conditions. There's no denying that. And, and, and I think from some of the writing that you've done about the different kinds of fat and how human metabolism works, we know the mechanism. We know why getting bigger, unless of course you're in the gym pumping iron, right? Is if you're, if you're gaining fat, it's bad for you. And, and all of the science is being sort of pushed aside because it's not refutable. I don't think, you know, I think you, you can make some very valid points about how people are mistreated because of their size today. And you can talk about the imprecision of BMI or measuring body fat or whatever, but the foundation, as I said a little bit ago, it's it's there and it's not questionable. And I think that's what concerns me the most is you have these groups that are trying to stay relevant and they're trying to you know maintain their authority in a changing culture. And in doing that, they're seeding the things that make them useful, namely giving the public good information that is going to allow them to lead healthy lives. This is true. And I think there's a there's another problem in there is that um and we've talked about this before when we talked about whether obesity is a disease. If they declare it a disease and they give it a code, they can bill for it and they can get paid to receive treatment or, or to offer treatment. And that, that's a big shiny object and incentive for a lot of people to, to make obesity a disease because in the way our healthcare system is constructed, once it's a disease, um, insurance will cover uh, all the ozempic that you you might want, um, and, and and that's a clash with other people um, that that believe um, that body image and dare I say uh, your sense of self worth is more important. Um, then whatever health effects may follow. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. And, and I want to say, and Chuck, I think you've talked about this a little bit too. Um, I struggled with my weight for a long time. I was really big as a kid and it was uncomfortable and there was a lot of social awkwardness and it was an issue I had to overcome. And of course, a key part of that was losing the weight. But looking back now in the early 2000s when I was in high school or when, you know, whatever age I was, if I had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, you're beautiful just the way you are and you don't need to change a thing and you can be healthy at any size, that would have been weird to me because I knew, even as a young young man, I was making poor choices. And so it would have been incredibly unhelpful uh, for for a medical authority to say that, or even to to not talk about it, and that's exactly what's happening now. And it, and it, it, I'm gl- I'm glad this didn't happen, but I was probably pre diabetic. I was probably very much on the line of really starting to experience <clears throat> some very serious effects of the way I was living. And of course, 
it probably wouldn't have really crippled my health until later in life. Again, that's another problem we can talk about. But I was I was on a very very bad path. No, I and, I, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you have thoughts on maybe because as a physician, right, having to discuss this with patients, I'm sure it's quite difficult at times. Well, you know, I, as a vascular surgeon, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about weight. We talked a, a lot about smoking <laughs> uh, along the way, which you know. W- was easier, but, but, but I think that there are certain qualities that are the same either from both discussions. I, I, if you think about your teenage self, even if the doctor told you that this was a bad thing to do, you didn't get your, um, sense of self-worth, uh, from a physician. You got it from the kids at school and they they had a very different model (laughs) Uh, 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 of how you should look than, than what the doctor might have been offering up at the time or w- w- would offer up now. And I think that makes a big difference. When I talk to my smokers, they, they already knew that smoking was bad, but the people that they spent time with smoked too. And so in their world, it was not a problem. You know, that's a really interesting point. <clears throat> and, and I think... I don't know. There's a lot of different dynamics there, but the thing that sticks out to me is that I think smoking in many ways parallels obesity in the sense that it is, it's a behavior that can change even though it's influenced by the environment you grow up in and heavily by your genetics. I think it's pretty well established at this point that addiction has a a pretty clear genetic component. There's still more to learn for sure, but even the same people who will talk about how we need to embrace fat acceptance when it comes to smoking, there is no such thing as tobacco liberation and uh, smokers acceptance. And I think it's, it's correctly because we realize just how deadly it is. Now I'm not saying that you need to shame smokers. I think that's, that's harmful as well. But if you look at how we address smoking as a society, we took it out of movies. We took it out of advertising. We took it out of public spaces. Um, Right. We we went incredibly zealous in how we tried to eradicate tobacco use. And we're pretty close. That was because that was a voluntary activity. Eating is is a tougher, you know, hunger. That's a natural thing. You know, lighting up a bunch of leaves and and inhaling the the fumes is not as natural as eating. And, And I think that that plays into it. That's one of the problems with. With, a, with addressing nutrition and weight, that there's a lot of uh, very well-accepted cultural biases in the foods we choose and how we choose to eat them um, that interact here that you don't necessarily see when you talk about um, smoking, at least today. We, you very well may have had very similar kind of cultural thoughts when they initially began to cut down on smoking back in the, in the mid fifties. Yeah, that's interesting. I suppose that's true that you don't have to smoke, whereas you have to eat. That definitely makes some sense. Um, but I think the point I'm making is that it's, it's still behavioral. We still yes. recognize that there are adjustments you can make in someone's life. It helps if they want to make those changes for all of you, uh, anti-smoking champions out there. It, it, it's more effective that way. But I think there's research that shows the same thing with obesity, right? Is that when people find a diet that works for them, to your point about, you know, the, the cultural influence on food, 
when they have a diet that works for them and when they, they are weighing their food and when they have an exercise routine that they can follow and that makes sense and that progressively improves their fitness, they can keep the weight off long term. And I think all that goes to show that there's really no reason to treat obesity as this unique, special sort of identity relative to something like uh, tobacco use or alcohol use or, or any other any other kind of lifestyle factor that can affect your health. Fair enough. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, no one should be identified. Our identity should not with our body shape, our body type, um, or our skin color. I mean, they, they, to get back to, to the, the racist origins of BMI, um, those are all those are all very changeable qualities in terms of how we we think about ourselves. So I, you know, I from a point of view of behavior and culture, I understand it. I also have a different sense of it from a from a point of view of being a physician, and um, those it's just difficult to reconcile the, the the two points. But I think this whole approach by medicine to now declare everything that's gone before is racist um, <laughs> it, it, it is problematic. There are people that, you're, you're right, uh, there are people that did many evil things but made contributions um, that were worthwhile and... It is it is very difficult at times uh, to separate the two, but we should at least make the effort. Yeah, f- fair point. I I think we can have our cake and eat it too, to use a a, cl- a cliche. I, I really though, I mean, I, we can have a society where people are respected, regardless of what they look like or how big they are or whatever, and then we can also say, look, this is not good for you, and then you can come alongside people and say, here's what we know works. Let's figure out something that's going to work for you. That's not easy, and it's probably going to take many generations to to get uh, the obesity issue under control or get us on a, on the right trajectory. I just think it's possible is all. Fair enough. I agree. Okay. All right. Well, we spent a long time on that story. Sorry, everybody, but we do have one more. And um, yeah, I I don't I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted as we get into this chuck but the story is mine it's called father's milk that's a quote we'll explain in a minute cdc science free breastfeeding advice so um it, it was mostly the conservative media that that blew up you know in response to this a few other news stories really covered it but um a couple weeks ago the the centers for disease control put out some guidance related to breastfeeding for trans people and it, it's it's on a section of their website that deals with health equity and infant nutrition. And so they say a couple of of strange things as far as I'm concerned. And these are direct quotes. They say transgender and non-binary gendered individuals may give birth and breastfeed or feed at the chest, chest feed in parentheses. And they also say an individual does not need to have given birth to breastfeed or chest feed. Um, I, I mean, there's so much we can say Right, right there, Chuck. But, but I think what really stuck out to me is that this is presented to the public as this authoritative guidance that I think a lot of people would assume is based on really robust research that's been done, and you can just sort of embrace this, uh, you know, uncontroversially. But as I discovered as I was writing the story, this is absolutely 
not the case. And I'll give just one example. The CDC cites um, a, a guidance document from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine <laughs> to, to sort of say, you know, here's where you go for, for you know, a, a deeper understanding of trans people breastfeeding. <laughs> and uh, that, that guidance is based on, and I quote it in the article, it's based on a handful of anecdotes from the internet and one case report. <laughs> so okay. yeah. it's it's one physician, I believe, or you know, a team of physicians reporting the experience of a single man who was transitioning uh, <laughs> to be a woman who tried to breastfeed his partner's child. I, I'm I'm like I, I'm just I'm beside myself. So let's start there. There's much more to talk about, but I mean, you're the doctor. What do you think of this? Oh, I, I wish I wish that saying you're the doctor would make it all better. <laughs> Um, so both sides are crazy they both sides have gone out of their minds Um, transgender people people men in in this case men transitioning to become women uh, are a very small portion of our population and it it is problematic um, to me, that the left spends so much time raising issues around what is going on for this very small portion of the population. I wish they would spend as much time worrying about um, the indigenous natives of the country who we've been mistreating for well over 150 years plus than, than to look at that, which would be at least equal numbers and equally so is that as soon as you were use the word transgender the the right side of the aisle also flips out um and 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 commits the same sin of making mountains political mountains out of scientific molehills um here uh i i it i just you know as we talked prior to getting started here, it, the same people that are so concerned that all, all children be breastfed and none of them be given uh, evil formula are more than willing to allow someone to chest feed, breastfeed uh, a child pumped up with hormones that they have no idea what the impact will be because we've never even studied it. I don't, I, I this is a moment when culture attempts to dictate science. So in, in some ways, I guess it's very reminiscent of the conversation the Pope had with Galileo about whether the sun was moving around the earth or the earth was moving around the sun. Our cultural views really don't have um, any role in the objective uh, attempts to discover things in science. They, the cultural uh, views certainly have a role in shaping up what science we look at, but it shouldn't necessarily have a role in the conclusions that we draw. I don't. I just don't get it. And you shouldn't, because you you're a rational person with common sense. And of course, you can tell that to my wife. I'd appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> you tell it to mine and we'll see uh, we'll compare results so here's 
here's the thing with this that that's just so crazy to me. And it's another example of what I was talking about with the obesity story, where we're 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 at a place now where we're sacrificing people's health and well-being on the altar of social justice. And that to me is crazy because the whole concept is that we need social justice so we can have equity. So everybody reaches the outcomes that they deserve and blah, 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 blah. But in this case, it's even crazier, Chuck, because we're talking about um, unborn children who are at risk and young and young babies, right? Infants and newborns who we are effectively running an experiment on. And even if it is just a tiny population, that's still horribly unethical and I spoke to another physician about this um, as I was preparing the story. And, and one of the points that this person made was that um, women, like just, I, I, I hate using the phrase biological woman, like it, like there's a different kind or something, <laughs> but like, but, but just, just normal women who are trying to get pregnant and, and want to breastfeed, they're going to look at this and they're going to go, well, if, if men can take these drugs to stimulate milk production, I guess I can too, right? <laughs> and that's yeah. really concerning to me because one of the drugs is called uh, domperidone, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's it's a drug that stimulates um, production of a hormone called prolactin, which regulates milk production. And it's currently illegal in the United States. <laughs> and it has been since 2004 because the FDA reviewed the research and they looked at it and they said, okay, well, this is associated with cardiac arrhythmias, cardiac arrest, and sudden death. <laughs> like, right. So, and, and by the way, it's an off-label drug. It's an anti-medic. It's used for gastrointestinal um, conditions. Right. But it's not, it's not, it's not even available in the US. And so I, I'm looking at this, and the CDC doesn't discuss this, by the way. This is all in the linked document, which is even more concerning because people have to go find this on their own and sort of imply based on what the CDC said that this is okay or it's not okay. And that's insane to me, Chuck. I, I, what do you think? I, I, I couldn't agree more. I was, I was kind of thumbing through things. I, I, I came across this. Endocrine dis disrupting chemicals are bad in pesticides, but they're okay in trans men. I, how can that be? Can, a little consistency, please. That's all I'm asking for is a little consistency, uh, again, on, on both sides of the aisle. Now, you said at the beginning that people assumed that the CDC made their judgments based on science. And I think probably 10 years ago that would have been true. At best, I think we can say that we hope that the CDC <laughs> bases its recommendations on on science. We can no longer really assume that. And the, the other thing that I plays into talking about this is that nearly everybody gets their information about uh, chest feeding, breastfeeding in three or four sentence sound bites. The chance of those CDC documents being read by the general public is essentially zero. And so that we're, we're trusting others to translate and, and share that information with us. And once we do that, we, given the culture wars, we give up any chance of getting an, an unbiased reporting on uh, what's really being said. With it, with it, I'm going to say the exception, I think, of what, what you wrote, in which 
had its own viral moment on the internet. Uh, it's it's insane. I think that's a good point. But I think one of the concerns I have is that there are very ferocious activist groups and there are reporters and there are people with a lot of cultural clout who are pushing this and the medical establishment is basically kind of standing by and going, well, you know, I mean, uh, right, right. Equity, equity is good. Okay. We're on board. And so you're, you're the situation I think we're going to end up in is you're going to have physicians that are increasingly under pressure to give their patients bad advice that could potentially harm their children um, because they don't want to be yelled at or they don't want to be fired or yeah. canceled or whatever, whatever the thing is. And, and here's, here's an example of what I'm talking about. I quoted an article published by The Conversation, which has just gone off the rails in recent years. It used to be a pretty good site for science commentary where they had academics writing for the public, but, but increasingly they're just, they, they're just nuts. And here's one example. They wrote an article where they were defending the use of testosterone um, by women who are transitioning to become men. I always get them c- c- confused, but but in other words, they're 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 women and they are transitioning. They want to be called men. They want to all that stuff. So they're on they're on testosterone, which of course is a very powerful hormone, <laughs> and they're either pregnant, they're gestating gestating a child, or they're breastfeeding. And so the conversation article was meant to defend this practice, and it was based on a study where the author of the conversation article and the research went to physicians and said, you know, why do you recommend that, that your trans patients get off testosterone? And they said, as, as you alluded to earlier, because we have no idea what effect it's going to have on the child that's developing. I mean, this is, this is nuts. And so Mm -hmm. the the doctors are saying, you know, there's a limited research. What we have is very horrifying. There's some indication that exposing children to testosterone, um, supplemental testosterone in utero could cause intersex conditions. It could cause autism. It could cause metabolic issues like obesity. I mean, these are fundamental conditions that, that could change the trajectory of someone's life forever. And you're doing it even though you admit you don't know what's going to happen. It's, it really is an experiment. And, and the, the pushback from the conversation people was, uh, well, the evidence isn't conclusive one way or another. So who are you to tell these patients that they should stop testosterone therapy? And I'm going, this is bananas. I mean, these are the same people who with a straight face will look at a parent and say, COVID vaccines are safe for your kids and you can trust us because we're the medical authorities. Now, in that case, there's much more research to justify that that guidance or that recommendation. But here... This is nuts. And so I could I could not fault any person in the world for looking at these people, these medical authorities and these social scientists who are who are going to push this. You know, if I didn't know any better from, you know, from my my interactions with people like you, Chuck, if I didn't have some elevated understanding of how vaccines work, I would probably look at all of this and go, these people are psychotic. I'm not going to trust the word they say. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's probably the. The, the most damaging uh, aspect of this all. And, and that's why I say both articles tie together um, because it's this kind of rhetoric um, that causes trust to be broken. And once trust is bro- broken, it is very difficult to repair. And I'm not sure... <laughs> 
as usual. I'm not sure what the the solution to that particular problem is, but I, I do see that it continues to um, inflict significant damage on um, what was been a hard won expertise uh, by public health and, and private health uh, workers. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is stop telling people this. <laughs> CDC, the you know outlets like the Conversation and major major news outlets just regurgitate this nonsense. Stop it. <laughs> that's right. like, that's the know, first it's step. Pro- it's probably it's probably diff- difficult to say. I don't know. We don't know. You know, people are uncomfortable with ambiguity and with uncertainty um, and will latch upon um, a message that that's, sounds more certain than it actually is. Um, and we, we're seeing this over and over um, again because um, I think the means by which we communicate now um, are built around the idea, as we've talked about before, around fear and um, conspiracy and uh, getting rid of uncertainty by allowing you to latch onto one theory or another. <sighs> yeah, it's a depressive day today. <laughs> it's it's frustrating. And just a final thought, because you mentioned uh, endocrine disruption as it relates to pesticides and industrial chemicals. The same week that CDC put out this guidance, the conversation published an article called "The Ugly Side of Beauty: Chemicals and Cosmetics Threaten College Age Women's Reproductive Health." <laughs> and in this story, they are on the basis of very very flimsy. Uh, epidemiological evidence. They are telling young women that the products that they can purchase at drugstores and and uh, department stores and so forth might jeopardize their reproductive health because there are endocrine disrupting chemicals, so called, in these products. So, in other words, not only are they pushing this absurd uh, trans breastfeeding guidance. They are taking the exact opposite position on an issue where the science is much better and that we know that, you know, putting foundation on your face or using perfume or whatever, it's not going to do anything to you because the products are very carefully regulated. And if anything gets out there into the supply and consumers start using it and they get sick, those companies are going to be sued into oblivion and the FDA is going to shut them down and confiscate everything that was harmful. And I mean, they're just done, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's like it's two levels of insanity that I'm still having trouble wrapping my brain around. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's bad to have endocrine-disrupting chemicals in your cosmetics. It's okay to have them in your body if you're transitioning. <laughs> Lose it. <laughs> yeah. You may, you may, if you're transitioning and you understand the risks, that's fine. But it, it's not the same thing as saying, it's okay, let's all go and have a good day. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I've said it's crazy, it's insane, it's insanity. I've said that multiple times, but it is, but there you go. If you're listening to this show, hopefully you're a little bit better informed and you can combat some of the silliness in your own life and when you see it in, uh, in the media and so forth. But uh, 
Let's land the plane check. We'll call it a day. We'll be back next week with uh, episode 48. Until then, follow us on social media. The organization is at ACSHorg. I'm at Cam J English. Interact with us. Ask us questions. If you want to talk to Chuck, uh, tweet at the organization, and we'll get the details to him. And uh, he'll respond to you because Chuck just loves uh, interacting with readers. <laughs> 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 all right. Thank Take you all care. for listening. We'll see you next time.